It's time for the Ship Report, the show about all things maritime. I'm Joanne Rideout. It's Tuesday, March 29th, 2016. We have 11 vessels on today's Columbia River ship schedule. In our marine weather forecast, we have northeast winds, 5 to 10 knots, and they will back around to the north later in the day with 15 knots in the afternoon. And today we'll talk about some upriver facts about ships that you may not know. But first, a look at today's Columbia River ship schedule. We have three inbounders, we have six in the Astoria anchorage, and we have two outbounders heading downriver and out to sea. Our first arrival in the river is the CSL Tecumseh. CSL stands for Canadian Shipping Lines. She's arriving from Mexico, headed for Rainier. Her cargo is gypsum from gypsum mines in Mexico. She'll pass Astoria around 2.30 a.m. You might see her in Rainier by about 6 a.m. The next ship is an unusual name. It's called the Draft Dodger. She's arriving from South Korea, headed for Longview to pick up wheat. She'll pass Astoria around 8.30 a.m., and you might see her in Longview by noontime. The Turquoise Ocean is arriving from Japan, headed for Astoria's anchorage. She'll be there for a bit. She's ultimately going upriver to pick up soda ash, and she will arrive in Astoria's anchorage by about 2.30 p.m. She'll stay there until about 8 p.m., and then head upriver to the port of Vancouver, getting there at about 2 a.m. to anchor again. So she'll be anchoring in at least two places in the river before she finally makes it to the port of Portland to pick up that load of soda ash. The other four ships in the anchorage are all awaiting orders. They are the Global Hospitality, the Patani, the Ioannis Zephyracus, and the Nord Pegasus. In our outbounders, we have an, uh, another ship with an unusual name, the Osge Axo. She is leaving Longview around 6 a.m., passing Astoria outbound around 9.30 a.m. Not quite sure what's on board there, but possibly wheat. And our other outbounder today is a military sealift command vessel, the USNS Sioux, like the Native American tribe. She is leaving Portland from the shipyard at Swan Island uh, around 8 a.m., possibly passing Astoria around 4 p.m., and she is an ocean-going tug that provides diving support to the U.S. Navy. Well, a little more about our marine weather forecast. In addition to those northeast winds in the morning that will be backing around to the north in the afternoon, we'll have wind waves from the north, two feet high at about four seconds apart, and west swells six feet at about 11 seconds. Well, I was really fortunate recently to have a, a, a chat with a, a maritime friend of mine, um, Captain Mike Balancefer, he is a Columbia River pilot. And every once in a while, Mike and I get together every few years and just sit down and go over the the cargoes upriver so that I'm current on um, what's coming and going out of those berths. And uh, we just had a really interesting conversation, as we always do. And I learned some really neat things about the river that I hadn't known before. And so I wanted to share some of those with you and also some things that I already know that I just don't talk about all that much. And I thought you might find those interesting, too. So um, something that I learned about ships that are anchoring upriver is that in general, and there may be some exceptions here and there, the only place where ships are anchored and swing with the tide around their anchor chains is Astoria because there's a lot of room there. Um, in other places upriver, say if you, for, for instance, on the Longview anchorage and in the Rainier anchorage, ships are generally secured at both ends. So they can't swing because there just generally isn't enough room to make that happen. So one end of the ship will be anchored and the other end will be secured to a buoy that is moored to the bottom. So very interesting. Um, the the uh, heavy currents upriver, by the way, sometimes require ships to put on extra dock lines. I remember when I was on board a ship there at the... Um, at Rainier at the U.S. gypsum plant there, the captain pointed out to me that they had multiple sets of dock lines on each um, of the pilings going out to the ship. 
because they had had experience before at certain times of the tidal cycle when the say on an ebb when things were just really ripping out to sea and downriver um the, the li- usual complement of lines just wasn't enough dock lines wasn't enough to hold the ship in place and sometimes ship would actually be ripped free from the dock because it didn't have sufficient dock lines there now these are dock lines i'm talking about dock lines that are an inch thick i mean in an, uh, under ordinary circumstances these would be more than enough to secure a ship like this to the dock but those heavy currents do scour along the waterfront in some places on the river upriver from astoria and along the astoria waterfront as well uh something that i've have talked about but not for many years on the ship report is the fact that when ships are upriver um, to pick up cargo. Sometimes they stop at more than one berth or port to pick up cargo. So ships, of course, have more than one cargo hold on board, and depending on what their contract says for the work that they're doing, they may stop at, say, coming down river. They may be at the port of Portland, and then maybe they might come down and stop at the port of Kalama, pick up some cargo there, and they might maybe stop at Longview. And so by the time we see them and they're heading out to sea, We don't have any idea that this went on, but sometimes ships will go and pick up different kinds of cargoes and deliver them to different places. Now, in the case of a a ship, say, that's already carrying, it's probably going to all be either agricultural cargoes or not. I would imagine that they wouldn't mix them. So you might have wheat in one cargo hold and corn in another, maybe barley or something like that in another one. So interesting um, that that uh, diversity of cargo that we don't usually think about. We kind of tend to think, oh, that ship has just wheat on it. Not necessarily the case. Now, um, I'm always talking with you about tides on the ship report and how much they affect what goes on on the river. I'd forgotten this one, and Captain Balancefer and I talked about it, that a ship going upriver on a very strong ebb where the tide and the current are against the ship's progress, that ship can take hours longer to go up to Portland, say, than a ship that is traveling with a flood or... Um, or a rising tide that will sort of help carry it along. So the transit times that I've given you in the past are pretty flexible depending on what part of the tidal cycle, um, you know, the ship arrives or departs during. So on the ship schedules that I that I create, when I tell you when I think maybe you might see a ship going by Astoria, say, those are really estimates because there's a lot of factors that can change how long the transit time is. But in general... From Astoria to Longview is about three and a half hours. From Astoria to Kalama, five hours. Astoria to Vancouver and Portland, about six hours. And the Willamette River berths can be six to eight hours from Astoria, depending on where you go. There's a lot of places to stop up there on the Willamette. So it's just very interesting that um, the transit time is so affected by those tidal influences. Because when the when there's a very strong ebb, when the, the tide is falling, um, Uh, quite a distance between high and low, uh, like say an 11-foot difference between high and low tide, that is an awful lot of water heading down the river and an awful lot of pressure against those upriver vessels that are heading upriver especially. Now, um, a little bit about the Columbia River Channel as you head upriver. It's a relatively narrow channel as shipping channels go, and it is uh, very windy and twisty. So um, there are about 100 course changes, one pilot told me one time, between Astoria and Portland. So those pilots who were on those, uh, those river pilots who were on the ships between Astoria and Portland, say, for instance, the job requires them to be um, in a state of sustained attention for a very long period of time, like about, say, between six and eight hours, depending on where they're going. So it's quite demanding, um, demanding work requiring an awful lot of um, 
of uh, ch changes in direction on board a ship. And that's why sometimes when ships suffer engine failure, when they're, say, in a turn, the ship loses steerage, it goes straight, and it may run aground. That is the source of some of the, um, the groundings that we hear about on the river. You've been listening to The Ship Report, the show about all things maritime. I'm Joanne Rideout. Thanks for listening. You can find a podcast of this program on my website at shipreport.net. Have a great day. <laughs>